0: 72nd episode of the Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them how they make their start making games, what the emphasis are, and who inspires them. Split into two halves, showing this to folks the developers themselves, and in the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Crawl by Powerhoof. Dave and Barney, who are you
1: and what do you do? <laughs> hey, I'm Dave and um, I'm the coder half. half uh, So we kind of both share design kind of roles and stuff like that But I do the, the programming for the most part um, And yeah, we, we've been making games together for I guess it's almost five years um, As Powerhoof, but about ten years or more uh, We've been working together in the games industry
2: Bonnie? Sorry, I was sipping my tea, I just had an offer <laughs>
0: Yeah, we're we're, we're both doing do the tea thing. We're doing a
2: general <laughs> tea thing. I've got tea thing going as well, so um, I'm right with you. Uh, so I'm the artist half. Uh, my name's Barney Coming, uh, and yeah, I think I think you'll find our stories are uh, incredibly similar because <laughs> we we sort of got it into it all together and wound up working together uh, in the industry, and then we got sick of it. Uh, got got sick of the stuff that we got to make in the industry, so we sort of quit together and, and started this. Uh, but, yeah, so that's the very, very short version. No, it's
0: it's, it's fine. We're going to delve deep now because um, that's the thing about this show. I say the word delve a lot. Take a drink, everyone. Um, but uh, so my next question sort of goes into that, lets you expand a little bit more about your histories, is how did you start making video games? David, do you want to start with that?
1: Sure. Um I guess my the first thing, first stuff I was doing was like on my graphics calculator in in high school and early uni, um, and I, I started liking programming at uni and then discovered Adventure Game Studio, um, maybe second year uni and started making these little um, amateur adventure games. We call them we called ourselves like amateur adventure game creators then because there wasn't really the term indie, but I guess it was still kind of indie. Um, but yeah, we're just making little freeware adventure games. So that was my kind of first taste of making games, and I really liked, I really liked the the fact that you kind of got to um, do bits of art and bits of sound and bits of uh, writing and dialogue, and uh, as well as the the programming stuff. But the programming seemed to be the most kind of logical thing to actually do as a career. So I started studying. I switched um, from doing a more broad engineering degree to doing computer science, um, and kind of was focusing a bit on the games subjects, but there wasn't really much at that time. And then out of that, I was like, uh, well, "I probably probably won't be able to get a job in games because there's not that much in Melbourne. There's a little bit, but not too much. Um, so I thought I'd probably end up doing website kind of stuff, but I ended up going for a job uh, at a little company called Red Tribe in um, in Melbourne and I got it. So yeah, that's where I, I sort of first got my uh, foot in the door in the games industry uh, and that was a bit of a funny company. Uh, Barney can tell you more about that because when, when, he was there as well. Um, but yeah, was, we were there for a few years, and then um, that company ended up shutting down. And uh, I got another job at um, Firemint Games, which which was doing uh, iPhone kind of stuff. And they were they'd actually been very successful. They were they were sort of right they're right at the start of the iPhone uh, industry. I, iPhone when iPhone games were coming up they'd been doing mobile stuff before that. So they were kind of right there at the start and had some hits with their flight control and real racing uh, and eventually were bought by EA. And um, And then I, yeah, yeah, like was there for a, another few years and then um, quit with Barney to start Powerhoof. But I'll let Barney expand a bit upon those places because he kind of worked <laughs> worked on similar ones. Okay. Uh, can I just, just ask a little bit more before we go on to Barney,
0: just a bit, little bit more about... Kind of languages you use and that kind of thing, because people like to know this stuff. So was it a yeah, C yeah. And I don't know. Yeah. So initially,
1: initially C plus um, plus. Working on sort of in house engines uh, at at Red Tribe and Firemint. Um, it was it was fun getting. Both both companies were very different in their approach. So Red Tribe tended to over engineer things. We had some some pretty uh, pretty smart uh, engineers that I learnt heaps from. Um, but they were on the over-engineering side of things, so a lot of uh, very design pattern-heavy, um, a, a lot of like everything was very structured, and um, uh, and that tended towards making things a bit slow to develop for. And then I went went to Firemint where people just hacked stuff in and like they wanted a feature they just chucked it in however however it landed which was which kind of showed oh you can make you know a game really quickly like in a week you can have this game going but then man the, um, the, the tech uh, tech debt that they built up over a year was just in, immense so you'd have this this project which started out really fast and everything was happening quickly and then just got bogged down in bugs and and it was it became impossible to add features to it because it was so so messy so I kind of got it was nice getting to see the two sides of things being really over engineered and things being really under engineered in in but a very similar kind of C++ kind of uh, based engine so yeah like, so now I kind of uh, I feel like I've got a, a good a good balance between engineering things for sort of a bit of future proofing and and keeping them clean but then also being able to do stuff pretty quickly and not get too worried about things being perfect in, in your code.
0: Finally, understanding um, yeah. the phrase, less is more. Exactly. It's, yeah. it's just so like, what on earth does that mean?
1: Well, and then there it is. <laughs> I'm sorry, but... And then, I yeah, guess now, yeah. nowadays I'm doing, I'm doing uh, the Unity stuff, so it's all C Sharp. I still feel like C++ is my kind of natural language, but, um, but C Sharp so nice and easy, and, and Unity has been great because it's um, really fast to, to put stuff together and, and also really great to make tools for. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs>
0: Barney, could you tell us a little bit about your history then, and how did you yeah, start?
2: Um, so I think I, so I started um, being. I mean, I did a lot of drawing. Obviously, I was really into just generally drawing, and but but with more of a skew towards animation. Uh, I wanted to animate stuff and make it move. Uh, but I think the the stuff that kind of sent me into games was uh, I. I was actually making a lot of board games when I was a kid. I was playing D and D as well, and that was I. I was sort of way too young for it, and I had an older cousin who had got me into it. And then I was playing with my other sort of cousins who were all incredibly young, my age, and all the all the rules were sort of way too complicated for us. And so I had. Uh, I think this was the first real game design stuff I did. I'd sort of designed just a simplified set of rules that was really easy for us to deal with and understand as kids that didn't have all the. Uh, more complicated stuff uh, but it was also that there was a few things that I that I just thought were silly and I was like oh I reckon I can fix those and make those a bit better um and so I'd sort of designed just some different ways the stats would work and comparing different stats and having separate roles for hitting things and doing damage to them as opposed to just the the one armor class thing and stuff like that um and that was really really fun and I was really hooked on that and that was uh you know, especially when I had this audience of a couple of my cousins who always wanted to play, and I was like, you know, the the guy who was controlling the games. And so I think that was kind of what, you know, got me addicted to making making games for other people to play, sort of thing. And so that branched out a lot into making little board games and things. Uh, we were playing a lot of Super Mario Kart uh, on the on the Super Nintendo, and so and I like made a little board game of. Of uh, one of the tracks of like the Ghost Valley, the first Ghost Valley track, which we thought was really cool, so we made a little board game of that, and then a bunch of like sort of weird little RPG rules around that, where we like could you know kind of have like long sessions of playing with these characters zipping around these um, zipping around the track, and uh, with kind of semi D anD D stuff going on around that, and so I think that was that was the start. That was what like hooked me on. Kind of making things, coming up with rules that were you know kind of fun for people to play in. Um, and then I had one set of holidays at our holiday house where another cousin uh, had this program called Hyperstack on the Mac, and that was uh, sort of mostly for doing presentations, um, but the, it had this feature where you could you would sort of do a card, which was just a, a screen uh, with some text or whatever on it, but you could make a button. And you could put a script on the button and the script could say, go to this page, wait one second, then go to that page, wait one second, then go to that page. Um, But with that, you could do animation because you could say, go to this page and wait for 0.1 of a second, then this one for 0.1, then that one, and you could put in a lot of frames. And so with that, firstly, I, I just got hooked on animating things in there. But secondly, it meant that I could make... I could put multiple buttons on a page, basically, and I could say, oh, you know, make a little choose-your-own-adventure sort of thing where it's like, well, if you choose to do this, we'll trigger this animation, and you'll wind up on this page. Doing that will trigger another animation. And so, yeah, I sort of got got hooked on that, um, wound up doing kind of some really crappy text adventure sort of stuff in Turbo Basic. Um, and then I, I kind of, when it came time to actually, like, you know, think about careers. Though um, it just never occurred to me that, that video games was a thing that you could do. So I I just focused in on the animation stuff. You know, I I was uh, when I was a bit older, I started teaching myself 3D animation. Um, and so yeah, but when it came for a job, I just thought, oh well, I've got to find somewhere where I can do 3D animation. Uh, and I went in, I did that in uh, Sydney here in Australia where S- Sydney has a lot more kind of film and TV work, and I sort of did that for a while, but I didn't, you know, I didn't live it that much. It was it was very uncreative. It was very, like, you're just being told exactly what to do down to the sort of millimetre of, well, this hand has to move exactly like this, and, you know, this has to happen over this, this many seconds, and there was really no kind of creating or inventing. It was just, as an animator, you were like a tool that Someone else was using to create their vision just because they didn't know how to use the software, sort of thing. So it was pretty. It was pretty boring, even though I was, you know, animating professionally. Um, so I moved back to Melbourne, and in Melbourne, all the there wasn't film and TV companies. There was just games companies. So I thought, oh well, I can animate for a games company, I guess. Uh, and you know, I lucked into this job at this very. Um, disorganized company, company Red Tribe, where I met Dave, which um, there was kind of a lot of uh, sort of frustrating things about it being disorganized, but there was also a lot of great things. And the great things were that me and Dave got an opportunity to kind of jump in and take on really high responsibility stuff that that we never, you know, would have regularly got a chance to do. So because we, I think, um, both of us were people who had, kind of done a lot of hobbyist game making in our own time. We were both kind of used to, uh, you know, thinking a bit broader than just the art or just the programming. Um, And there was a lot of problems at this company where the artists would, there would be a design meeting. Someone would give a brief on what a mechanic would be. And the artists would hear the brief and say, right, these are the animations I have to do. The coders would hear the brief and make some code, but they would never talk to each other. And then, when it came implementation time, the thing would just not work properly or, or look a bit weird. And and it would be because the two teams had different interpretations of how the system would work uh, mechanically. And, and the, you know, the artists would just be like, well, it's the programmer's problem. They didn't program it right because, you know, I made it like this. And the uh, coders would be like, well, these animations don't work with this system, you know, and so everyone would just wipe their hands of it and, and we'd have a crappy looking thing in the game. And so I think me and Dave wound up getting our kind of opportunity to to have a lot more control, just because both of us were like really unhappy if it if it didn't work in game. And so we you know talk together and work it out and be like, you know, why why does this animation look bad? Oh, we're triggering it in this way, and the you know the animations were made expecting that you'd you'd interrupt the animation into this one not that you'd queue it up and trigger afterwards or you know all those little kind of fiddly details and and we kind of liked working working on those details so yeah that's kind of how we wound up uh getting to do much you know much more kind of uh like creative direction and and leading teams and stuff like that than we we probably should have at the time um but yeah that was that was at Uh, a company called Red Tribe, which unfortunately went out of business, and then uh, both of us went off and got got games at different mobile companies. Those mobile companies were very successful because they were doing well. uh, EA just bought both of those companies and (laughs) moved them into the building together. So suddenly me and Dave were working at the same company again, Um, and that was just around the time that microtransactions and um you know this sort of free to play but but all these sort of you know it's, it's often very sneaky sort of psychological tricks to get to get uh, cash out of people were, were really being established as like this is best business practices and you know and it's kind of irresponsible uh to to not to not do it like that cuz you're just going to sort of not make money and so we were working together again, but we were both getting very frustrated with, you know, the way that um, the way that, that just the, the the kind of games we were making, and that, that the the way that the business model was really kind of encroaching on the design of the game. And we, uh, I guess, I had a moment where I realised that the things that I was really good at, you know, were kind of none of them were relevant. At that company, the things I was good at was, you know, sort of making these, you know, making uh, combat feel good and making the um, explosions be satisfying and all these sort of things that I, you know, would would painstakingly work on, um, and and that very quickly became just almost com- just an almost an afterthought in a lot of these games, whereas really about this is the business model. How can we fun, funnel people into the store and uh, all, all these sorts of things? And so not only was, you know, I'm not really into that sort of stuff, but I, you know, I'm not a marketing guy or a psychology person. And so that's not what, you know, what, what I'm good at. And so I just felt like I was really just kind of being wasted. And, you know, when I was doing a good job of things uh, in terms of animation and making things feel good, it was really just to entertain myself, you know, mostly that the games would have made just as much money or, you know, just been just as well received if I hadn't have put in half the effort. And that was very kind of, uh, you know, a frustrating feeling. So, yeah, we wound up kind of turning our regular lunchtime complaining sessions uh, into just a, an idea that maybe we should quit and, and make our own thing. And that was about four years ago now, and, yeah, crawl's the first thing we did after we quit. It's
0: interesting. There's two things I want to raise with you and we can move on to that question. But you realised, and yet the other people around you understood that any game, or any medium, actually, is greater than the sum of its parts. You have to have a holistic view on the thing you're creating. You can't compartmentalise, because as soon as you do that, well, it ceases to be a thing in itself. A a table isn't very good without its legs, you know, (laughs) and so that's the best way, not the best way, but it's, you know what I mean, it's just, there has to be the whole, you have to see the whole, and if you don't, if you don't, if you don't respect one, one person's profession, and against the other, it all just collapses, it has to work together.
1: Yeah, Yeah, it was was unfortunate, that, that time was, I think for a lot of uh, game studios, who, especially in the mobile space it was it was like okay all these people are making money on um on freemium and people are stopped and and you know premium games aren't making money anymore and so there was this huge swing towards the the um freemium and pay to win stuff uh because there was just like a panic kind of thing it's like okay we've got to do this and everything has to be like this and there was like a mandate from ea that we can't have any more games that aren't freemium and um and we suddenly had all these marketing people coming in and giving us talks on how to make our, um, our DAU targets and stuff like that. And we were coming from like, oh, we just make the game good and then people will hopefully buy it um, to this different approach. And it was very, it, it, they just swung way too hard. And it's just like, don't worry about how the game reviews. That doesn't matter. That doesn't sell units. The only thing that's important is whether it's um, our engagement is high enough to be able to get people to buy more things in game. And, and that kind of... Uh, it felt really icky. Uh, and thankfully, now things are kind of uh, balanced a lot more, uh, um, I, like to a certain degree. I think it's still a bit iffy in a lot of ways. Well, now, now the problem's gone into like loot boxes and gambling, and you're seeing a big backlash against that, um, which is good counter yeah. <laughs> I, it's, I it's think you're a um, little balance
0: out, but yeah, it takes yeah. time. I, I think there's a bit of hubris going on. Uh, hopefully, hopefully people are going, wait, we can't do this anymore? I mean, the fact that you know disney disney this 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 thing now that's become disney which used to be another <laughs> thing but now it's this i don't know what it is come over to you yeah, and went what are you doing what what are you doing and it's like yeah. um you can't do this you know you you this is no no so um <laughs> no just no uh and i think it's very interesting these two behemoths One's going. What are you doing? One's larger than the other. Going. What, do, what, do, what are you doing? Uh, this I is think our thing. Yeah. It's-
2: where it's um. Unfortunately, Disney is you know not not the standard. Like Disney is a bit like Nintendo. I think in their sort of very very conscious of the mm, like you know impression too. that that people have of them, and, yes. and there's this whole sort of family friendly side that they're that that is kind of a huge part of this this image that. Um, a, a lot of companies, most companies, are, are, are just not are not are not interested in, and, and you know are, don't don't really. Well, EA yeah, is probably like, to... like everyone hates us already, so <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so it's it's very good to see, yeah, to to see Disney in that position, but but I think that's probably a bit of a a bit of a rare one-off case, unfortunately. Hmm. Um, which is well, yeah. you know, the chickens come home to roost, and
0: you know, hopefully. People can realise. Oh, wait, you can't. You can't do this. this you're taking it too far. You take something. Yeah, right there to are de- Some
2: more cases. Yeah. beyond Apple's just, just that the, the that Disney life that, that I'm seeing, things mm. being pulled back like that. Mm, yeah, Apple's Destiny, just said that you have it? to
1: tell people. You have to like communicate to people the the chances of what you're going to get in a loot box style thing. Yeah. So yeah. so that's a pretty big deal, I think, for everyone who's doing mobile
2: mm. games
1: because like all of them have that kind of. Uh, cards deck of cards or like loot boxes or opening something and getting a chance to win um as part of their kind of core mechanic, core kind of gameplay loop yeah so that's be interesting to see how that pans out
0: we're gonna we're gonna move on to the next point but speaking personally all the mobile games i ever play i just i pay out one shot and just then play them i just treat yeah. them they're the ones i buy like autos adventure threes so called threes um and threes again uh and it's similar you know or, or the race to the galaxy that kind of stuff it's all just one shot it is like oh okay i mean race to the galaxy is fantastic because you just get all the expansions as well because that game when it's the the, the, you know, the analog version it, if you will cards everywhere but anyway <laughs> um what are your biggest influences as creators
1: Oh, man I think it changes so much mm. uh, at the moment I'm really big about just trying to trying as much different things as, as I can you know when I, when I was younger I was like I don't like this you know I don't like metal music I don't like electronic music I only like um, you know alternatives blah 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 you know or um, and the same with games I'm like I, I'm no good at strategy games or uh, I only like you know this type of RPG. You know, uh, whereas now I'm like, ah, oh, everything's everything's good, everything's got its place. And the more I, I feel like, the more I try different genres, the better it is in terms of making interesting things. Uh, and also, just you know, uh, I really like playing games where you you see a very specific influence, um, and and you kind of learn about that genre through a game, even though you know the game might not be about that. Something like you know, Brutal Legend, which is um, a game about metal music and celebrating metal music, even if you're not a metal music fan, you play that and you kind of get into it and you're like, oh, I can kind of, I kind of get it now. I see what people like about it. And I really like that. I, re- I think that's really amazing when, when games can do that. Um, but I guess I'm still very influenced by PC gaming. So stuff I played when I was growing up was, was generally PC. So like Apogee and um, their games and, uh, All all the adventure games, so Lucasarts and Sierra Adventure Games, and that's still a a massive influence and something I'll keep going back and playing old DOS games because I I think there were it was a bit of a Wild West kind of thing where people were just trying random game ideas and most of them were kind of rubbish, um, but they were just they were all weird and interesting. Um, Whereas I think on console you got a more uh, a lot of a more homogenised kind of set of games. Like the the hardware was really tailored nicely for really smooth, nice platformers and um JRPGs and things like that. Um and so you got a lot of those games, but less kind of weird, quirky um uh, experimental games, I think. So yeah, I guess that's roughly my influences but in a weird way.
2: Yeah, I okay. I have a lot of uh a lot of influence probably from similar kind of old PC games where um you know the the genre lines weren't really established (laughs) you know it wasn't people didn't feel like oh i'm making like a shooter or i'm making this um it was just let's just see how i can make some you know some graphics interact with some other graphics in a way that that feels good and so you know a lot of my gaming when i was young was just like pc games like alley cat and all these kind of um just just weird things that um you know, I don't really know what genre I'd put them into anymore these days. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's that's kind of something that's um, coming back a bit. You know, in the indie scene, um, but that you know it's understandable how things kind of get get sort of put into specific genres, so they're easy to understand for people. Like this is what I'll get when I buy this thing, and then you know it's been going on for long enough that. People's influences are specific other games, and and uh, you know, so they're just sort of building on pre-existing things instead of just inventing inventing stuff from nowhere. Um, but I think I, I also was very into um, arcade uh, arcade games, and especially multiplayer arcade games. So um, like Golden Axe and. The, the Dungeons and Dragons uh, arcade games that were that were very much like Golden Axe um, that just had sort of better graphics and they had a lot of weird secret stuff hidden in them and, uh, yeah, I think sort of that, I, I mean, a lot of just multiplayer Super Nintendo stuff and Bomberman and things like that where, um, you know, it was more about sort of laughing and griefing your friends than, you know, the the details of, of maybe what was going on on screen a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was that was really what I came out of. I think it's uh, uh, obviously the the regular stuff, the you know Zelda one, um, and and Mario, Super Mario World, and stuff like that. But yeah, I think those uh, kind of weird genreless PC games were were a big a big part of it.
0: That's, that's fantastic because uh, you say they didn't have any genres because you're right, they were inventing them at the time. Um, yeah, yeah. when I, I point to, and forgive me if you think like, this isn't right, but there's a game called um, Alone in the Dark. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. and I streamed that from my Windows 95 PC recently. <laughs> I have a, I have period PCs, and that's one from that period, that era. And it's all got you know, it runs Windows 95, and I just streamed from it through my regular yeah. modern PC. And, um, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's just you're playing it going, wait. This is Resident Evil,
2: yes. Yeah, Yeah. yes, it is. You can see it's it's always fascinating to see the kind of the parts of it, the experiments that just, you know, they instantly realised no, this this doesn't work beyond that, and that kind of fell off. But but they were kind of really interesting ways at trying to solve some of the problems that. You know, you just forget that those were ever problems to be solved, and you're like, "Oh yeah, I guess." You know, it, it wasn't really obvious that you would interact with objects in this way, or that you would simplify the control scheme in this way. That you know, so many of these games with like just unique buttons all over the keyboard to do you know <laughs> just a single kind of mm. uh, action that you do you know maybe three times in the whole game or something. Yeah. And yeah, uh, but yeah, it's 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 kind of fascinating, and I think I think. It kind of limits your your creativity if if you you know are just so used to uh, like playing and looking at th- these games where all those things have been kind of figured out. It's like you you know where when I think about a platformer, I uh, it's impossible to not just think from the starting, starting point of Mario now. Whereas there's you know I, I see something like I mean say, say Bennett Foddy is getting over it that just just came out and it's like. Um, you know, this concept of platforming just from a completely like, a, a, you know, it's throwing out the existence of, of, all of, of all of that stuff and it's just such a fresh sort of weird different way of looking at it. So, yeah, I think it can be kind of challenging to like try and forget about all the things that have been solved and to try and, you know, look at them fresh again.
1: Mm. But yeah, that's like that. the example of the keyboard with all, you know, button, having buttons everywhere and having those kind of keyboard overlay games where you have to like, um, <laughs> oh, the, yeah. those things like, um, and you know, nowadays you kind of, whenever people are looking at game design, they're trying to simplify down as, mm. as much as they can. Like if there's, if there's any way you can simplify and distill the gameplay experience, that's, that's considered a good thing. And same with like UI on games, yeah. everyone's like, you know, you want it to be as simplistic as possible. If, if possible, you know, the, the ideal is you don't have to have a UI, um, but I really like I, I really like like uh, something I'm kind of interested in at the moment is just exploring now nah, going the opposite way and going no 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 we're we're adding complexity and just complexity for the sake of it you know just having <laughs> like buttons which or stats which aren't really you know they don't they're not really core to the game they're just interesting and fun mm. because I think things go in in waves and you know you you I think it's a sort of a bit of a game design wave where like you know things are distilled to a one you know a one button. Uh, Infinite Runner and that's kind of really interesting and novel for a time and then they go back to like this crazy sprawling complex uh, thing where you've got all these controls and various things and I don't know, there's a lot of potential there I think um, to explore.
0: I think it's quite interesting that we're all you know, we grew up and evolved we saw the controller evolved from the single joystick to the one button to the 14 button monster that we have now (laughs) Yeah, Is it 14? I think it's 14 I don't know, I think it's something Uh like that is it depends on a controller, but I think it's 14.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Barry, you're you, sorry, but, uh, but are you going to say something. No, no, that's, I mean, that's a valid point. That that was a big part of, um, you know, I remember being at companies where, where they're sort of designing something and the first thing a designer would do would be look at it, the controller and go, right, I've got to think of an action for every button on this controller, and it's just such a sort of weird backwards way of, of trying to design something, and... Um, yeah, and and I'd always end up finding it so off-putting when I got a new game and there was so much to learn and um, on the on the 360. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's weird. It's weird how the. I, I think that there would be a lot to learn in that way, but 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 the the scope of the game would feel very known. Like if I pick up, say, a third-person action game, I think I can probably play like two minutes and have a very good sense of what they're going to throw at me for the entire duration of the game. Whereas I think those um, those old sort of weird PC games with with strange Baroque uh, controls, hmm. I think a big part of what what all that did was build this feeling that you don't know what's going to come at you. There might be a point in the game where it just changed, changes modes and you're like you know, operating in a very different way. You, you know, you, it, you kind of, I mean, it, it was probably also influenced by the fact that I was a kid and so I just didn't as much have my head around, you know, analysing and simplifying what, what to expect from a game. But but definitely those kind of, you know, uh, unorthodox things and, and and kind of strangely complex things would, would help the, uh, I guess, battle the feeling of how small the kind of, the the space feels in your head. Like if I, you know, if I pick up a fighting game, I mean, I know what's going to be in it, you know, and, and it can be an amazing game, but, uh, you know, it's not going to surprise me with, with, you know, it'll just have a different character who plays in an interesting way and this will be cool. Um, whereas those games, they would surprise you with what the game even is in ways. And so mm. I think, uh, yeah, I think kind of I- I- even just complicating things enough to gesture at maybe there's more than than what you think uh and and as soon as you find one or two things that were more than what you think then instantly it feels like you're operating in this huge infinite possibility space and it kind of feels a lot more exciting
1: Mm.
2: yeah i I love being surprised
1: by games being like mechanically uh, um, or you know in the narrative just like having something thrown at me that i wasn't expecting because i guess you get jaded especially as a game developer who and you've played games all your life you kind of you sort of start to to see each game as 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 just like um what other games it's, it is basically you know this uh, this is just like this game and this other one kind of meshed together yeah. so it's really nice when when something is just like blows you out of the water and you're like okay i haven't seen that before that's that's awesome
0: um, i still i, think, I still i yeah. still harken back to demon souls when i played that for the first time absolutely oh, oh my god i mean everyone dark talks about dark souls and stuff but no 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 that one, it was on the PS3. I had to import it because at the time <clears throat> they were going, "No, it's not coming to Europe. No way, it's just coming to Europe." So I imported the US copy because I was that desperate to play it, and I was right to be. Dear heaven,
2: yeah, I mean, absolutely. It just, that, just threw everything that was,
0: out I and mean, went, you know just. know I mean, you got a sidestep. You can't button mash. You're not in. You're not. You know. You know. This is not Diablo. You know. If you want to go button mash, go and play Diablo
2: or Soul Calibur or something. <laughs> go on, off you go. You know. That that was actually the first game really, I think, since uh, kind of the, the original Zelda that I'd played where, yeah, I just felt like because there was a lot of stuff about it that that felt like it looked a certain way. It looked like a lot of games that, that had looked exactly like that before. And I'd played so many of those like third-person action games just because I, I like that kind of stuff. But so when I started playing it, I just mentally mapped out it to be this specific type of game and to work in a certain way. And when it just kept on surprising me and going, no, no, it's not like that, Uh, it really made me feel like I just have no idea what's going to happen next, you know? And then discovering secret, you know, secret things in there and stuff, it it was very, for me, reminiscent of, yeah, uh, Zelda 1, where I would kind of gossip with other kids and they'd, you know, they'd make up, like, just... C- completely fanciful stories about, you know, this is in the game and this is here and there's a secret here where you can do this. And 80% of them were just, you know, total lies that just the kid's getting exciting and, and inventing stuff. But every now and then one of them will be true and be like, oh, this kid's older brother knows, you know, a bush that you can burn and you'll go in yep. and find this mm-hmm. secret thing. And, yeah. uh, and you get really uh, excited about going home and trying it. And like, yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> and I feel like that that kind of feeling really built up around... Uh, yeah, Demon Souls, and especially that the first Dark Souls was just people saying, "Oh, I've heard that you can do this," and you know, uh, yeah, discovering that it was actually true, and mm. so yeah, and, yeah. And, and especially I for a triple
1: A game, it's super rare.
2: Yeah, exactly. and just well,
0: I'm not sure, was it people? I remember interviewing <laughs> the developers back in um, back in Gamescom in 2011, I think it was, and it was you know Dark Souls, and they were really humble. Like, is this any good? Were, That's the yeah. red quote for like, <laughs> I'm not. We don't. Because they're doing the presentation, do the press. And they're standing there going, I just don't know. Just, <laughs> this, this is a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly yeah. what they were saying. Like, I don't know, really? And we're going, seriously, this is fine. No, it's great. It's really good. Yeah. You know, you're just saying that, aren't you? No, no, we're not just <laughs> saying that. It's a wonderful moment. I'll never forget gonna of our careers. It's like talking to these people. Like, they're so, so humble. They just didn't know. They didn't know, and they still don't still don't so my next question kind of related to the first one and it's a wonderful influence to be say look where does it all come from that's what you're telling me where does it all come from and that's what's influenced you as creators It's brilliant what developer do the most admire in the industry and why
1: oh that's a tough one um <laughs> Um, at the moment, I don't know. I kind of went through a bit of a crisis when I was because I've just had a kid a couple of years oh, ago. Congratulations! Um, once we, you know, when we started, yeah, thank you. And um, and you know, I'm 30 plus, and I'm like, ah, oh, you know, I've I kind of had this this sort of this vision of like the you know indie game developers and just game developers in general being being this thing where you kind of you work and you make make games and you're successful. And then you get burnt out and you quit, and and so at the moment I really respect all, the, the a bunch of game developers that are older and they're still like in it and they're still like really interested in making games and still excited about making games. Because for a while I was kind of a bit like panicked that like oh, maybe you know I've only got a few more years before I just am aren't interested in making games anymore and you know I, my hobby kind of I kind of lose interest in my hobby and um yeah so like uh, Jeff Vogel who's like um started SpiderWeb who's just been making RP- these sort of simple PC RPGs. Well not simple, you know, but but like smaller kind of low key RPGs um, you know, his whole life, you know, and his um and like um George prasad who's kind of still really like vocally supporting Indies. Um and he's sort of founded Apogee and like um all these games I played when I was a kid. Um there's there's a lot of a lot of like older older developers that are still like really really excited about games and, like, it really visibly uh, interested and engaged. And it's really – I know, I really respect that. And it's like, oh, cool, that's what I want to be. I want to kind of – I want to grow old and still be really into this sort of making games hobby thing. I don't have to worry about uh, about kind of having settled down and not being into it anymore. Um, yeah, I guess that's where, where I'm at at the moment. <laughs> yeah. That's wonderful.
0: I mean, look at Tim Schafer, for example. And there's yeah, yeah. many other developers that have been around – you know, in, in Exile Entertainment, who went on to do Wasteland 2 and and bunch of other RPGs that they're working on to this day, it's lovely. Like, wait, you haven't gone away? No, still here. Yeah. Despite despite everything, especially me. You know, when they, <laughs> the, the kind of things they've had to put up in the last 15 years, it all like and suddenly, you know, like, no, we're not going away because people still like what we did and what we do. So, it's awesome. What about you, Barney? Um, anyone. Uh,
2: you think is awesome. I mean, I think uh, I- I'm. I'm really enjoying watching uh, like Fulbright and Campo Santo kind of uh, stepping stepping away from uh, action, like just sort of combat mechanics in things, uh, which is weird because I think the main thing that I'm that I'm excited about designing is always combat mechanics. But it's really cool to see these guys. Uh, Making short form things that are more just the story elements in in uh, kind of first person games. So, yeah, I'm really excited by anyone who's making kind of new, <laughs> weird, weird approaches and and to see those guys doing such a good job. Uh, I think uh, the I mean, in terms of people that I'm just impressed with, uh, this uh, uh, the guy who made Downwell. Uh, Ajiro Fumoto. I think this is like his first game. I think he's really young, and I think Downwell is just the most like phenomenally tightly uh, designed game that that I've played in just forever. It it puts like it just it makes me embarrassed about how kind of messy and unelegant all of my all my kind of mechanical design ideas are. Um, so yeah, I mean it's just it's just there's so many kind of great you know. Great new, new, uh, new kind of things coming out every day. It's really hard to just narrow it down. But um, I'm super impressed by. I mean, we, we've got some friends who are who are like this, just people who are doing the risky stuff that I don't. I don't really have the guts to do. I think that's probably why. Why I'm particularly impressed by, yeah, Fulbright and Campo Santo because I feel like I I just wouldn't have the guts to 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 build something. Uh, that I'm investing all this money in, that I'm, you know, really, that needs to be commercially successful to a certain scale, that's kind of taking so many risks in terms of what people expect from a game. And so I'm kind of glad that these other guys are doing it so that, uh, you know, like, I mean, I mean, personally, I love just making arcade action things, but I also like, you know, other stuff. And I'm, I'm really stoked that, some of those barriers are being broken down and maybe that, you know, when I have a, a really cool idea for a game that winds up just being like purely story or, or some weird life simulator that doesn't have any combat that kind of people will have pushed into those areas already and people will, you know, be be ready to buy and play that kind of stuff. It's a um,
0: wonderful response and list of... Uh, uh, down well. when I saw that, I thought... Wait, is that a Spectrum game? It looks like a Spectrum <laughs> yeah. game. So,
2: I'm sorry, I'm showing my I age mean, it's now. Just, I mean, you know, it really is a masterclass in just like making so much out of you know so out of yeah. just with, with such an economy of of parts of of graphics of everything, and it just mm. yeah, it's it's awesome. But
0: um, yeah, it's, we certainly live in an interesting times. But well, I wouldn't do yourself that. you have taken this with crawl, and we're going to talk about that later. But good risks. that turned out to be wait, you're really a monster yes, (laughs) yes I am I thought I knew you, no, no you don't Um, and I love that Um, but um, my last question in the first half, well done you made it, see look yeah, I know, still alive (laughs) Um, but it's my my favourite question because it gives me a hint as to what makes you really excited and keeps you going in this industry what are you playing right now?
1: Um, I, I've been I, playing a lot of PUBG. <laughs> oh yes. Um, but it's, um, I've got some friends I play with it with at lunchtime and stuff. A friend who's just moved to Japan. So we have to wait till three, 3 PM till it's his lunchtime so I can play with him. But, um, um, but also I've been playing a bunch of adventure games cause I'm trying to like write some sort of just test kind of adventure game stuff at the moment. And so I'm kind of getting inspiration from a lot of, uh, a lot of, New newer adventure games. I also Have you
0: tried um, West of Loathing? Ooh. No, no, but it's
1: on. The, that's one of my. Yeah, I, ones on, I
0: guess. I've had. I've had them, I've had them on the show. Lovely people. Met them a couple of times at PAX, because um, uh, I go to PAX East and West, and uh, it's um, the North American one, not the Australian one. Sorry. It's, 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 and uh, I uh, lovely, and the, 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 I highly recommend it. Very, very, very funny which is hard yeah. to do in video games. You guys do it yeah. too. you you got comedy as well, but they've got it. I don't know how – it's just – comedy is so, so hard to do in any
1: medium. Jokes are hard, I think. They're, they're hard. <laughs> I mean, for me, I, I still – we're, we're good at we're good at wackiness but we're, and, and silliness. Um, but, yeah, man, like trying to think about how to go in and make a full comedy game is a bit, a bit daunting. I've been yeah. thinking about that yeah. a bit recently. And, like, you've really got to – yeah – Jokes are hard. Yeah. <laughs> Jokes are hard,
0: but you know the when you—it's worth taking challenges though. Yes, yes, exactly. But um, and PUBG is its own emergent hilarity. Like it's what people don't understand, as I'm that, you know, is that that game came out of Armour three, yeah, which was yeah. basically a muzzle flash game. I call it muzzle flash games. You know, because if you see a muzzle flash in the distance, you'll probably be dead. You're, dead. <laughs> you're probably dead. You're dead. Probably dead. And people complain about Oh play for half an hour, nothing happens. Really? Wow, half an hour? How did you last that long? That's the yeah. beauty of it. That's the really beauty like, of it. I like
1: my favourite part is just playing, especially playing with friends, is just walking through, you know, the forests and the hills. Yes. You know, it's all it's tense but you're kind of chatting to each other and you're like yes. keeping an eye out and you're hiking through these hills and yes. uh, and it's that kind of mid game that... I think that's the bit I find myself enjoying the most. <laughs> Even though yeah. then I just get shot by someone I can't see.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's just the whispering. Going, Can you hear that? What? What? It's just me burping. No, it wasn't you burping. Oh, look. Look, shadow, shadow, shadow. No, it's, not. it's just the bush. And you start shooting at the bush. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's wonderful. That's that's the thing it's about intense. that game. It's just, if you don't understand, it's just it's not about the shooting of other people. It's about shooting at imaginary other people until it turns out to yeah, be an actual yeah. person. You know? How could a door be so terrifying when it's open? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, incredible. Anyway, um, Barney, what were you been uh,
2: distracting yourself with? Uh, so, I mean, I've been mostly still Downwell and Devil Daggers. Um, mm-hmm. I just get such short uh, – uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of Devil Daggers, but it's uh, sort of first-person um, kind of quake – uh, like aesthetic, and it's just a, a really quick arena game where you might um, die in ten seconds, thirty seconds, a minute and a half. Um, but it's just so perfectly made; it's basically a yeah, it's kind of equivalent to Downwell in in just how sort of quick and tight it is. How um,
0: what platform is this? give me, Devil. Just yeah. PC, I think. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
2: But yeah, it's it's really really great for just short short burst sessions. Um, because yeah, usually I don't really have much time at the moment. I've got Dark Souls 3 sitting there with. I think I put about 20 hours into it, and I just keep on. Whenever I have, whenever I have time, I just look at it and think, oh, you know, I'll I'll only have like half an hour here, and I'll you know only just be starting to get back back into it. So yeah, I'm just playing lots of just arcade pick up and play things, uh, Luff Rouses and stuff like that. Um, and also, I've got the Switch actually, so obviously been playing a huge amount of the. Uh, the new Zelda, um, which I, I've been really, really stoked about. Motorcycles. Um, yeah, I saw that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Makes sense, considering the story.
0: <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah, well, that's about to check it out. The Double
2: Daggers, is it? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Right, okay. I think that's oh. by another Australian company as well. Oh, nice. Yeah, okay. Right then. Well, that's it for the first half.
0: Let's move on and delve deep into four. First question I have for you, this isn't a question. Regular listeners know what this is about. This is a Zeroth question, which, yes, is an Asimov reference. Um, Tell us about Crawl.
2: What is it? Uh, So, it's a local multiplayer dungeon crawler um, where all the traps and monsters and uh, the bosses in the dungeon are controlled by your friends sitting on the couch next to you. And that's basically the the conceit. I think it's like, um, you know, if you played through a much more kind of arcadey version of Diablo, but all of the monsters were actual other people. That's pretty much
0: (laughs) the crux of what goes on here. Just so everyone understands a little bit more, just a little bit more. It's just you can either be a human or a ghost, depending on what's going on. If you're a ghost, you're stopping the human trying to get out because only one player can escape. Everyone else is done for, and for eternity, which is a terrible thing. <laughs> <laughs> so the only way to get out is to recover your humanity, and then beat the big bad boss, who is hilarious.
2: <laughs> is it? So that's the other core thing I, I think is that. So you're playing against your friends, so we're all trying to kill you. But as soon as someone kills you, then they'll switch over and they'll they'll instantly take over as the hero. And so suddenly it's everyone against them. And so yeah, a big a big kind of part of um, what what we were going for was not just oh, you're playing against your friends, but constantly switching it up. So you're teaming up and then you're betraying each other to steal the kill. And then suddenly everyone's against you because you're the uh, because you're the hero and then you go into the boss uh, and in the boss room, it's the only time where the monsters aren't really competing at all. They're just working one hundred percent together to try and stop that guy from winning. So there's kind of a big part of it is this you know constant changing up of of allegiances and uh, stuff like that. I think it's fascinating that you've turned a gameplay mechanic
0: that every board game designer dreads, <laughs> i.e., bash the leader, into a actual game. Because when you have a board game, when you're playing it, we've all done it, you suddenly realize I can't win, but I don't want him to win, because that's just wrong. Yeah. So I'm going to be a complete <laughs> jerk, I'm going to work yeah. together. With my other players, even though the game is clearly not a co-op, you then proceeded to cooperatively stop the other player from winning, because, and that's the horrible (laughs) thing to do in a board game. Yet you've made a video game on that premise.
2: So I have to think anything where you kind of uh, you set it up so that. (laughs) Like, technically, there's no rules about whether or not people can or should communicate with each other, but you'll definitely, you know, be able to do some pretty nefarious things if you do communicate is always fun because there's kind of a, yeah, a weird sort of second layer of the game of the the people kind of teaming up or not outside the game or deciding this guy's just better than us. Look, everyone, let's just agree to just completely shaft this one character or, yeah. or, or you know, this player. Uh, is just annoying, or you know, he's our friend, and we just want to irritate him. Uh, yeah, it's like the worst game of diplomacy ever. You know, which
0: <laughs> it's a terrible game anyway. But I think, sorry, everyone, if you take offence to that, but I just think it's just a a, a friend breaking game. Don't. Yeah. Um. I know of people who like haven't spoken to us in decades because of well, they invaded Italy. Just anyway. Um. <laughs> My first proper design question is there are aspects of core that seem to be drawn for being a game master, so dungeon master in pen and paper RPGs. Was this an inspiration?
2: Uh yeah, definitely. I think um I mean I think probably uh, a huge inspiration was actually just uh, as a kid, I I think like some some someone older bought me like an expensive monstrous manual and that just you know, I, I was kind of, I, I used I used it a little bit in, in the games, but mostly it was just, like, something that it was just me sitting around being fascinated by these monsters and reading about them and, you know, just sort of mentally, uh, like, fantasizing about, uh, you know, yeah, all, all the sort of cool, badass stuff they could do and where they lived and them battling other things. Uh, so I think really, yeah, a huge part of it was was just the excitement out of, just making a big, you know, a big kind of pile of different monsters all with kind of different personalities and stuff. Um, yeah, yeah th- I think we was kind actually...
1: of drew more and more inspiration as we went along. Like initially it was probably more, uh, we, we sort of started it as a little game jam um, and Barney kind of brought it along and it was where we were doing a bunch of local multiplayer games and kind of play them all at my place. And so it was it was kind of a, oh, this will just be a little arcade like, you hit people with a sword and, and then there's random monsters that shoot you. But sort of as we went along game, we added sort of more depth to the game. We added a lot more of the Dungeons and Dragons feel because it kind of uh, people, uh, we, we had this sort of problem where we were trying to communicate uh, these strange game mechanics to people and get them uh, to play the game in in sort of the right way. Um, and until we sort of realized, oh, we can kind of just borrow from the classic tropes, you know, uh, dungeon. Dungeons and Dragons tropes and stuff like that, we, we had a really hard time trying to communicate to the player what they should be doing. Um, and so we sort of started leaning on the, the Dungeons and Dragons stuff more and more as we went along, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, speaking as someone who regularly sits behind a cardboard screen, um, I didn't empathise with a lot of what was going on. However, a DM is not an adversary. It's not there to be the person who's uh, against the players. He's a referee, or he or she, sorry, is a referee. They're, they're, they're navigating the players through the adventure as they see fit I mean the best question or the most common question the GM will ask is what do you want to do now because yeah. that's what you say a lot and also the other response is typically yes and <laughs> really as a game master it really I just felt so much empathy with when I turned into a ghost it's like, oh great yeah. now I'm going to have to make this hero a misery his life, their life a misery
2: I mean, or oh, we challenge them, you yeah. know. When we were initially um, sort of figuring out the the core the core things, um, we initially didn't have the ghosts. Uh, you know, at first it was just, well, they would just automatically spawn as a monster, and then you'd sort of, uh, you know, it it wound up very obviously frustrating just having your existence taken away and then suddenly you're a monster. And so mm. it was obvious that we, you know, we needed some kind of continuing existence once you're not a monster. Um, and I mean, as soon as we came up with the concept of them being ghosts, mm. you know it, it it was so obvious, and it worked so well because mechanically, um that lines up perfectly with with the the story of being a ghost, right? You know mm. you're a ghost, but you can't physically touch people. So all of the rules of the mechanics of the game are just inherent. You, you know it it doesn't it doesn't sort of take, a tutorial screen to explain what's going on. Um, And so, so that was really good, but we were definitely before we thought of the ghost thinking about, you know, maybe you're just a disembodied hand or a cursor or something that would have been much more like a kind of DM reaching into the game and just moving stuff around. But, Mm. but yeah, the, the ghost thing and so many other things in the game wound up being, we couldn't really make it work until we had a kind of real world sort of analogy that, that, kind of implied how the mechanics would work and so many of those analogies came from Dungeons & Dragons. Mm,
0: Absolutely. It it seeps right through the screen when you're playing it. And the second question I have is about the big bad monster. Now, speaking as someone who once participated in raids in World of Warcraft, this was back in the day when it was 40-man raids, not 25. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, wow. (laughs) I took out out Nefarian. Never forget it. Highlight of my you know, gaming experience was working <laughs> with 39 other like minded individuals for a common goal, um, yeah. which was basically 40, 30, 40 people working together to overcome a piece of code. God's sake. Yeah. But anyway, mm-hmm. that's not the point. Um, the point I'm trying to make is you turn this on its head. If it's not the raid, but well, it is the raid, but you're the boss monster taking out the single <laughs> player. How yeah. did this evolve? How did this develop? Was it something that just went, well, let's just turn on this head, let's just literally bash the leader until they start crying? I mean, what? How? How did
1: this come about? <laughs> it kind of evolved slowly. Like it started out as, as kind of a, a a collection of traps in the shape of a boss that were just randomly spawned in a room, and then we kind of we needed an end game. So initially, it, like the first time we kind of tried it out with people you just like keep going down levels until everyone got bored and you decided to turn the game off. Um there was no end game and we tried a bunch of different like end games like we had a, you know, you had a certain number of lives as a um as a ghost and then once they ran out, you know, you you were out of the game and you just had to wait for everyone else to finish, which is pretty dull. Um we tried having it so there's just a set number of levels and once you reach the the sort of the limit, then people you just it just tallys up who did the most damage, and that was just this found felt really arbitrary. And then we're like, what what do you know? What do RPGs end with? And they all end with a giant boss. So uh, that well, you know, it's sort of again like borrowing from from just like Dungeons and Dragons and different. Um, all the games that, that that sort of spawned it was kind of as soon as we thought of that it's like oh yeah well that's kind of the obvious end to a game like why why didn't we all just do that to begin with but until yeah, you it was of, like
2: the ghost you thing. kind of like have to once, work
1: yourself up to the obvious thing
2: <laughs> yeah once you've thought of it it's like oh it definitely has to be that but leading up to it it was actually surprisingly you know surprisingly long time before before that kind of crossed our mind most solutions are hidden in plain sight yep. all,
0: you know this wisdom has taught me yeah, that exactly, ages taught exactly. me that is that uh, It's in front of my face, isn't it? Where are my glasses?
1: It's on your forehead. Oh, yeah. Yeah, really well-designed things just don't seem like they're designed at all. They just seem like, oh, yeah, that's obviously how it works. That would have been easy to design.
0: Yeah. So speaking of design of things, I want to ask you about the monsters that the players can summon when they're ghosts. It's provided there's little pentagrams on the floor, which, again, fantastic idea. (laughs) They're all based on archetypes. I just want to know, how did you create these and... Could you give us any examples
2: of ones that were rejected? Uh, so I think that the monsters were always kind of simultaneously designed from two directions. I think like on some days I'd just sit down and just draw stuff and just be like, well, I'll just, you know, uh, I'll just draw as many kind of interesting guys as, as I can and um the the inspiration for mechanics will grow out of the way that they look you know so obviously uh you know a guy with big claws on his on his hands will want to slash with those and and then at the same time or or, or on alternate days I'd just sit down and just brainstorm well, these are the mechanics we've got. These are the ways that we can throw damage boxes and, and objects at other people. These are the ways we've done it so far. These are other ways that we haven't used yet that that might be uh, kind of, you know, might be give different gameplay options. And so I'd sort of be working from both those directions and then they, they'd they kind of come together, you know, in the middle somewhere or where they did come together. That would be where there's a kind of a good, a good interesting monster. Um and, uh, I, like, part of it was I felt like I wanted kind of to be able to represent every quintessential, like, uh, you know, monster battle that, that, that you would have. So, you know, fighting against a flame-breathing dragon and all these sorts of things, I felt like I want all those experiences that are just sort of classic dungeon crawl experiences to be in there. But then I also wanted to push things away from the sort of Tolkien kind of uh, glittery, lovely kind of magical fantasy and push that more towards uh, Lovecraft, just sort of really dark and brutal. Because I feel like it definitely gets forgotten in all the kind of, oh, we're exploring the dungeon that happens in in these games. It kind of gets, like, forgotten that the concept of being chased around in, like, a, a maze by all these monsters... Should be just an absolutely like harrowing and brutal and horrible thing. So, where where I wasn't kind of trying to represent uh, you know fantasy monster archetypes, I was trying to make new monsters that would push things more in the kind of grisly and brutal and and, and horrific direction. Um, and yeah, so the that there were a lot of ones where just the visual design would happen. And it would just be very obvious, you know, right, well, this guy, because he has this weapon or because he has this look, he should do an attack where he jumps and bites or he's got this staff, He should fire something out of his staff. Um, but, you know, a lot of the time that didn't <laughs> that that didn't necessarily line up with attacks that were fun to play against. And so, you know, there'd be a lot of then take it back to the drawing board redesign him a bit so that, you know, the, the stuff that is obvious for that guy lines up better with the uh, the mechanics. But, yeah, th- there was a lot of monsters that, that didn't make it. There was a, um, a fire wolf kind of guy who um, I liked his design and he had a little flame thing on his tail and uh, we just tried a whole lot of different things. We had him shooting, shooting uh, little fireballs. We had him lighting himself on fire or we had him spawning lava and just none of them... Felt like the kind of thing that that monster would do, and none of them felt satisfying to play. So, yeah, he didn't go in. So there, there were a lot of monsters that got kind of animated to the point where they were running around in game. But mm. then once it got to their attacks, um, either the ones that were, you know, the ones that were really kind of indicative of of that look of monster, they just we just couldn't make them work, or we just couldn't think up interesting ones for that style of monster. But then there was a lot of the opposite way as well, where it was just like, right, this mechanic that we've already put in really worked. Mechanically, I'm pretty sure it would work if we did it like this, but with a bit of a twist that would make it different. Now I'll just design a monster who kind of, you know, visually encapsulates that. So it was yeah, this very kind of two two directional kind of thing.
0: Okay. no, that's 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 does work. (laughs) <laughs> um, makes 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 perfect sense, and I can definitely see that evolution in the in in the creatures. And I was just thinking, one of my favorites is the bats. Yeah, are they bats? I think they're just flying uh, eyes. The eye bats. Eye bats. Yeah. yeah. And Especially the crew, when they the reach the they reach the <laughs> final level, and they're just ridiculous. It's like, yeah, Oh uh, no, yeah. no, no! No 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 no! Ow 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 It's just you know, <laughs> once you line up just right. The, yeah. The, the, yeah. The, the, yeah. As a player, as a human, when you're to fight, fight, fighting against them, it's like it's not fair. Op, op, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not. It's not the case at all. You just, you just got to know when they're going to because they shoot at an angle, don't they? So you just got to. It's one They shoot at a, little, a projected of angle, don't they? And yeah, 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 so. yeah.
1: Similar to but legally distinct from a beholder. Yeah. <laughs> <sorts>. Yes.
0: Yes. <laughs> now, uh, last question. I know all good things must come to an end, but. Uh, I hope it's good anyway. The last question is this. And I've i got to raise this because I found it hilarious. The smashing of scenery by the player who is alive, <laughs> i.e. human, yeah. actually feeds the other player ghosts. Yeah. How did this idea come about?
1: <laughs> that was another thing which which went on a quite a design long design journey throughout the development. Like because we you know we're sort of filling out these environments initially and we're like, Oh, well we need to have like stuff in them, you know, mm. so they look like they're, you know, inhabited in, you know, yep. a previous era or something. So, you know, there's, you know, boxes and crates and tables and chairs. And then immediately people are like, Oh, why can't I smash these boxes or these crates? And so, yeah. You know, um, so okay, we'll animate them so you can smash them, and then it's like, Oh, nothing comes out when I smash these boxes and crates. It's like, oh okay, well we can we could put like golden things in them, but then you know, the hero's kind of gonna just in each room he goes into, just stand there for ages, smashing barrels and crates, while all the other players are bored to tears, you know. Um, and so we can't just, you know, we had a lot of a lot of players, especially in the very first iteration uh, when we first released on early access, they just walk into a room, smash all the crates, walk into the next room, smash all the crates, and everyone else was just like, "Come on, come on." Mm. Um, so the the way we tried to fight against that was, yeah, okay, we'll we'll make it so smashing the boxes actually. Um, helps the ghosts out. So you're smashing them and the ghosts are like, oh sweet, that's giving me stuff to pick up so I can pick up this stuff and then I can drop blobs uh to, to attack the player. Um and then the last iteration was something we added right near the end. Um that Barney just sort of put in as a little test and it was like really awesome. So we had to keep it in, which was that ghosts could actually get in in the scenery uh pick it up and then throw it at the player. Um so yeah it came it went on a long journey that one. <laughs>
0: Yeah, the poltergeist idea is brilliant. You know, why not throw themselves because they're just immaterial beings, which can you know mm. temporarily possess things. Why not well, have them? One of the first f- things we you know.
1: wanted was just to be able to like hover a cup or a pen above it and go. Ooh, I'm a ghost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, took, it took. Yeah, it took a good couple of years before we got some ghosts making things hover and fly around. Yeah,
2: yeah. Be I a still... weapon. Pa- pardon. Be a weapon. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I still um slightly re- regret not finding a way to give the both just ghosts a button that they can press just to make them go. Ooh. <laughs> there,
0: there's potential there. That might be a DLC point, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Loot crate, you know, get different types of ooze, different taunts. Yeah. <laughs> different taunts of ooze and, and sheets sheets to wear. Don't forget that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, no, well, that's, that's my final question. I know sad, but, um, Let's see, crawl is out on Windows PC and Nintendo Switch right now, is that right?
1: Yeah, and Xbox and PlayStation as well.
0: Ah, on every, right. On everything. So all of the things. All of the yeah. things. Mm-hmm. Um, is it on Mac? I can't remember. I haven't checked. Yep, yep. So it is, yeah. Mac and Linux, my lap- yeah. yeah, my laptop is, is a Mac because you can take a bullet, and I travel a lot. You know what they're like. It's like, <laughs> I'm not going to die. Mm. So, <laughs> you know, a, so other than that, it's a. I'm a big PC gamer personally. But, um, gentlemen, it's been fantastic having you on. It's been wonderful hearing about your uh, histories and your inspirations and your your uh, interesting uh, story of uh, how Crawl came to be and how yes. it is. Uh, it's wonderful to hear your stories. And there's a lot of empathy from me. I sort of hear my voice <laughs> from, like, I'm just sometimes I'll put the controller going, Yes, see? See? <laughs> That's me. <laughs> it's my personal experience. That's me, anyway. But um, well, I do wish you the best of luck in your future endeavours. You're more than welcome to come back on to tell about whatever next is up uh, up your sleeves. Um, Thank you. But um, I hope you enjoyed it. And um, absolutely, we do wish you the very best of luck. Thanks, yeah, very thanks much. so
2: much. It's been a blast. Ooh. Always happy to dig into all the silly design nitty gritty stuff. It's always yeah. fun.
0: any feedback on the show or actually you're a developer who listened to the show and want your game featured on it please do email me at chris at spong.com Also, don't forget to check out the Computer Game Show which is the stablemate podcast shall we say of spong.com Bye!